what a gift it is to worship with you, to lift our hands in praise to our God. And uh, what a gift it is to have those of you joining us online, whether you're watching from Facebook, on YouTube, on newlife.nyc. For those of you who are new, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor of New Life Fellowship Church here in Queens, New York City. Uh, And if you are in the room here, if you're new, at the end of our service, I'll be downstairs. Our pastors will be downstairs as well. And we would love to meet you if you are new here or if I just haven't seen you. Or if I saw you last week and you just want to say what's up again. Uh, Just... We'll say what's up again. We are beginning a five-week series on the deeply formed life. I'm excited that uh, lots of of our congregants are gathering together to go deeper in uh, this material, which is our five values at New Life. We've had these five values for a number of years. And these values and this series is going to give you a great picture as to who we are as a congregation. Uh, For some of you, this is very new. You're new to our church. You've been coming. I've met a lot of people who've been coming to our congregation for the first time during the pandemic. And uh, for some of you, in the past few months, you've been coming to New Life for about a year, but this is your first time actually walking into this building. There are a lot of new people like that. And so uh, for some of you, this is uh, new material. Uh, For others, this is stuff that we've heard for many years, especially if you've been at New Life for a long time. And uh, as I, uh, that famous adage goes, we need to be reminded more than we need to be instructed. And so what I want you to do is, as I preach today and as I preach in subsequent weeks, uh, some of you are going to say, oh, I've heard that before. What I want you to pay attention to is what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you for this moment in your life. I'd rather you pay attention to that one insight from the Holy Spirit, that one point of revelation, than you uh, remembering everything that I've said. And so the goal is not to remember everything I've said. My hope is that you would remember what is the Spirit of God pointing to in your own life as we look at this text and as we look at the truths that we're going to explore. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, the Gospel of Luke chapter 5. Uh, verse 15 and 16, and we're talking about contemplative rhythms today, contemplative rhythms. Uh, Luke 15, uh, 5, 15 and 16, hear the word of the Lord. It says, yet the news about him, that is Jesus, spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But I want you to see verse 16. There's a lot of stuff happening in verse 16 and in previous verses, and then verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Let's pray together. Lord, breathe on us through your spirit. Open our eyes, our hearts, our ears. May we receive every gift that you have for us this day. We pray these things in Christ's name, and everyone said, amen. Our first congregational value is that we are called to be a monastic community, a monastic community, that we slow down to be with God. Uh, a monastery is a place where followers of Jesus devote their entire lives to God in prayer. Uh, they're known as monks. They're known as nuns. And over the course of our many years at New Life, we have looked to the monastery. We've looked to monks. We look to nuns to learn about the spiritual life 
uh, believing that they can teach us a lot about what it means to uh, lift up mind and heart to God, what it means to have a relationship with God in a busy city like ourselves. Now, New Life, of course, is not a monastery, but one of the things that we've been called to over the years is to cultivate monastic moments. We are invited to be part of this community means that we are about cultivating monastic moments. And as I think about this text today, and as I think about this value, and I think about my own life, I think about three different monasteries that I've been to that have so mm, touched my life and so whet my appetite for God and that I've encountered the living God and God's love and God's power through these three monasteries and I've tried to carry those experiences in my day-to-day life. I want to share three monasteries that I have been formed deeply by. The first monastery is in this place called Uh, 406 Elton Street in East New York, Brooklyn, 406 Elton Street. I grew up in 362 Elton Street in East New York, Brooklyn, spent my first 34 years of life there. But 406 Elton Street was probably my first monastery. It was this yellow house here, 406 Elton Street. And in this house uh, was my grandparents. My grandparents lived there. And it was my first encounter with the monastery. On the second floor of this home, there was a bedroom, and in this bedroom, my grandfather would study the scriptures. When I became a Christian in 1999, I had a lot of questions. And so one day, I walk into my grandfather's room, and he's sitting with the Bible open, as he usually did. And what I would typically do when I walk into my grandfather's room before becoming a Christian is I would say... Hi, Grandpa. Hi, Abuelo. Give him a kiss on the cheek, and then I would walk out, talk about the Mets or boxing or something like that, and then go about my business. But after becoming a Christian, I said, I want what he has. There's something about his life. I want some of that. And so I said, Grandpa, I have a question about this Bible verse. Can you explain it to me? And he said, sit down. I sat down next to him just like I did in that picture there. And three hours later, we were discussing all kinds of scriptures. By the end of my conversation with him, he said, why don't you come tomorrow? And so I came back again the next day and sat with him and studied the scriptures again. He said, why don't you come the next day? And I came again the next day. And sat with him. There came times where I just wanted to play basketball. I didn't want to study the Bible. And, and I said, Grandpa, I'm not coming over today. And he said, oh, you're not. Uh, take out a pen and paper. And he would have me write down all these scriptures and say, when you read them and study them, then come in a couple of days and we're going to talk about them. I did this for eight to nine months, four to five days a week, two to three hours each time. And he died on April 16th, 2000. But this was my first monastery where I would pour over the scriptures, sit side by side praying, sitting in silence, interceding, paying attention to the Holy Spirit. This was my first monastery, and it marked me for life. I had another monastery experience, though, a couple of years later. The second monastery experience was in a place called Graymore, the Holy Mountain in Bear Mountain, New York. 
It's a Franciscan monastery. I was with a number of college students at Nyack College for a spiritual formation course, and about 30 students were going to go to a monastery for, uh, for the weekend. And the professor was taking us all around the, uh, the campus, the monastery, and he was dropping off students left and right here at different places in the monastery and going to leave us there for about five to six hours. And so he was dropping all of us off, and he dropped me off right here on this part of the monastery. And he said, Rich, your life in ministry and in pastoring, you're going to see a lot of this in front of you. And this is here I am about 21 years old, 22 years old. And so I want you just to stay here for about five to six hours and just be with God. And so five to six hours I was there. After the first 20 minutes, I thought I was there for three hours after the first 20 minutes. I said, how much time has passed by? 20 minutes? And yet, in that extended period of time, God met me. I got a taste of God's love. Something about the the presence of the Holy Spirit with extended intentional time. And surely, uh, I don't want to make it seem like I was on this whole mountaintop the whole time. Surely I took a nap and and I crushed ants and and, and figured out how am I going to go to the bathroom. Uh, I won't say what happened there. but, uh, But in that time, something touched my soul. I was touched so deeply. That when I went back to college campus, I was looking for isolated spaces to be with God. And it almost felt like I was doing something illicit with a girl, trying to find a secret place to meet with God. And I would find some corner on the campus and I would just pray and open myself to God and that marked me. I had another monastic encounter at a monastery uh, in 2009, this monastery, this third monastery, St. Joseph's Abbey in Spencer, Massachusetts, is a monastery that I return to almost every year. These monks gather together. They pray five times a, year, uh, uh, a day. They wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning to pray. I don't know if Jesus is awake at that time, but they're awake at that time, and they're praying five times a day. And I remember my first day there, I had never been in this kind of a monastery. And so I was waking up with him at 3 o'clock in the morning, praying and reading the scripture. And I remember the second day I was there, God had just so touched my soul that I looked out and saw this massive field on the monastic grounds. And I had just tasted the love of God, brothers and sisters, in such a deep, profound way that I knew of nothing else to do but to run. And I looked at that field and I said, I got so much of this God energy in me. I got to run. And so I ran as hard as I could through that field in praise and in worship. And I regretted it soon after because I kind of like pulled the hamstring in the process. But something came alive in me in each of these three monastic moments. And here's my question for you as we look at this gospel text in Luke chapter 5. Have you tasted something like that? Has your soul been so touched by God and extended periods of prayer and extended periods of silence and extended periods of solitude? If not, the Holy Spirit has an invitation for us today. And we see that this is the kind of life that Jesus lived, a contemplative life, contemplative rhythms. 
Contemplative rhythms is, are the unhurried ways we open ourselves to God that enable us to lovingly offer ourselves to others. The unhurried ways we open ourselves to God that enables us to offer ourselves to others. And we look to Jesus, our Lord, who demonstrates this. Let's look at the verse again. It says, Yet the news about him came uh, spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now, in our text, it's a normal day in the office for Jesus. He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. He's preaching the kingdom of God. And at this point in the Gospel of Luke, it seems as if Jesus recognizes that he needs some support because there's so many people coming to him with all kinds of needs. And so he says, I need some reinforcements. He calls his 12 disciples to train them, to disciple them, so that he's not the only one around there healing the sick, casting out demons, preaching the kingdom of God. But nothing is as innocent as it seems because the disciples who he calls will give him as much trouble as the demons he was casting out of people. <laughs> and so Jesus has a lot of work to do with these people, and in the process, the crowds keep coming to Jesus. They're like, I don't want to talk to Peter. I want to talk to Jesus. I don't want to talk to John. I want to talk to Jesus. And so they keep coming to Jesus because of the needs that they had. And so whenever Jesus would walk into a village, crowds of people would already be there. Somehow they, they GPSed him and, and they knew he was going to show up in this part of the neighborhood and let us be right there waiting for him when he walked in. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of 2012 after Hurricane Sandy. You remember Hurricane Sandy? Hurricane Sandy uh, hit our, our, our city and, and, and the days after there was a gas shortage. And I remember this like it was yesterday. The gas shortage. And it got to a point where there was no gas that we had, were Googling places. Where's the next delivery of gas at which gas station? The problem was everyone in New York was Googling the same websites. So that by the time I woke up early in the morning, I would get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning to get to the gas station. By the time I got there, it already looked like this. Here's what Luke is saying. In that time, Jesus was the only gas station. Everyone went to him. And so as a result, he's expending his energy. He's working to heal the sick. He's doing a whole lot of work, and he had no point of escape. There was no Ubers. He did not have a car where at least he could go to McDonald's and go through the drive-thru order and then pull into the, uh, the, 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 a parking spot and eat his food without any kinds of distractions. Jesus did not have the luxury of any of that. And so he had to be very intentional about pulling away because of the overwhelming nature of what was coming against him. And I want to tell you, there is a lot of overwhelming stuff coming against all of us as well. Can I get a witness here? The world we live in is overwhelming. So much coming our way. I was reading some statistics from various media sites that gave us the, the, the sense of overwhelming feeling that we all have, that 60% of the U.S. population admit that they are under constant daily stress. 60% of you in this room, daily stress. 
20% of Americans skip or consider skipping going to the doctor because of financial stress. 16% of people have developed a COVID stress syndrome. I'm surprised it's actually not higher. One-third of Americans are struggling with anxiety, stress, and depression as a result of the global pandemic. Two in five high school students experienced higher levels of stress compared to the pre-COVID era. Coronavirus stress has created a new disorder, post-COVID stress disorder. 15% of Americans want to quit their jobs due to severe stress. Four in 10 caregivers consider their job to be extremely stressful. Gen Z showed the highest levels of stress due to COVID-19. The question is, what is to be our response to this reality? And in light of all these statistics, we're not including doing the laundry and washing the dishes and bathing the children and getting to work and writing the papers and filling the car with gas and finding a parking spot and all the rest. There's so much coming against us in a given day. What is our response? Our response is to look to Jesus. Jesus, look what it says, withdraws regularly to a lonely place to pray. Now, you might ask yourselves, how is it that Jesus is able to do that? And your your first conclusion is, he's able to do that because he's God. I mean, he just has it easier. He's God. And yes, Jesus is fully God, but don't forget that Jesus is also fully human. Jesus gets tired. Jesus gets thirsty. Jesus from time to time gets irritable with his disciples. Jesus is fully human. He knows what it's like to feel the burdens of being human. And so he steps away. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Let me just break down this verse for a second. First thing, Jesus often. Hear that word often, often. It's often the case for us that we wait until we're so burned out that we go to God in prayer. We wait until we're so stressed. We go, you know, I I gotta get to church. I've been so stressed, been stressed for three months. I gotta get to church. Oh Lord, you're stressed, you're angry, and I gotta read the Bible. We often wait until we're at the end of our rope before we come to God. But look at Jesus, he often withdrew, often. I I love that, He, he remains connected to God. He remains filled. It reminds me, in 2003, I never forgot it. I took a trip to Florida. I was there for the summer, and I was hanging out with my cousins. I remember getting into my cousin Athena's car. Uh, we call it Tina, and, and I'm in the car. And notice, we were just going to go to the grocery store, and she had a half a tank of gas. And she said, before we go there, I have to go to the gas station. I said, why? She said, I got to fill up. I said, you have half a tank of gas. Why are you feeling less? I just don't like being less than half a tank. And, and, and I said, but we're not going on a road trip. We're going to the grocery store. And she said, no, no. And she went and filled up the gas because she just wants to have full gas all the time. And for me, I'm waiting often. I, I, you know, I'm get to E. <laughs> and then the car is going, you better fill up, brother. And it says right, right there, and the, right in the dashboard. Customized it. You better fill up. And and, and we we often wait, (laughs) and then we got to scramble around. Oh Lord, where's the gas station? (laughs) But Jesus often 
It's part of a regular rhythm for him. Here's the second word, he withdrew. He withdrew. That word withdrew in the Greek language is about taking refuge. He takes, he's not just stepping to the side. The language is there are forces, there are storms coming against him, and so he withdraws to be with the Father. And then to lonely places, there's a level of distance that Jesus creates. He's not just emotionally, physically, there is a distance. There's so much coming against him. He says, I, I have to step away, lonely places. And then look, how, look what happens. He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now, if, if Luke, the gospel writer, was writing about me and you, it would probably be, but Rich often withdrew to lonely places and texted, okay? <laughs> and he withdrew to a lonely place and updated his Facebook status, okay? He withdrew to lonely places and watched Netflix, okay? Uh, but Jesus withdraws to seek the Father. His life is about communion with God. His life is about being filled with the love and the power of God. He withdraws to lonely places and prays. And what Jesus teaches us is this profound truth that unless we regularly, uh, we are regularly withdrawing, we will regularly wither. Unless we are regularly withdrawing, we will regularly wither. And some of you, your souls are withering. No one might be able to see it on the outside, but you know it on the inside. You're fatigued, you're tired. There's, there's a disconnection in your soul, and you're withering. And here's the good news. Oh, the good news is this. If you're withering, the Holy Spirit is here. The Spirit of God wants to refresh you today. The Spirit of God wants to energize you today. The Holy Spirit wants to empower you today. But here are the conditions. The conditions upon the Holy Spirit's refreshment and empowerment in your life requires us to withdraw. So what does it mean to withdraw? I want to give you two invitations for us to withdraw. What does it mean to live out this verse? I want to talk about withdrawing on a daily basis and withdrawing on a weekly basis. Withdrawing on a daily basis and withdrawing on a weekly basis. The first way we withdraw is through prayer. But, but what I want to invite you into is contemplative prayer. Contemplative prayer is attentiveness to the presence of God without words. Attentiveness to the presence of God without... And the goal of contemplative prayer is not giving God a laundry list of things that God needs to fix. And Lord, you got to get me this house, and then Lord, this car, and this raise, and this girlfriend, and this boyfriend. Lord, I, I need you to do this. I, I, there's a time and place for all that, but contemplative prayer is I want to be mm, present to the presence of God. To just be with God. And here's the beautiful thing about that. When our minds and hearts are oriented just to be with God, God has a way of blessing us, giving us what we need, providing for us. But the goal of contemplative prayer is not to get anything. It's even not to feel anything. It's to be with God, to share presence with God. When we sit down, middle of the day, morning or evening, and just open ourselves up to God, this is one of the ways that we withdraw. And in the withdrawing, 
The Spirit of God is at work in us, doing for us what we cannot do in our own strength. Do you know that scientists are discovering this? The power of contemplation and prayer. Uh, Andrew Newberg, he wrote a book called How God Changes Your Brain. And he ran some brain scans on Franciscan nuns and Pentecostal Christians and other folks who gave themselves to prayer and contemplation and silence. And this is what he discovered. He said, intense, long-term contemplation of God and other spiritual values appears to permanently change the structure of those parts of the brain that control our moods, give rise to our conscious notions of self, and shape our sensory perceptions of the world. Contemplative practices strengthen a specific neurological circuit that generates peacefulness, social awareness, and compassion for others. You know what this is basically saying? Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How is your mind renewed? By opening yourself to the presence of Jesus. And you might not be able to feel it in the moment, but I want to tell you, if you open yourselves regularly to the presence of Jesus, the Holy Spirit will begin to rewire your brain, renew your mind, restore your heart, fill you with compassion for others. This is the invitation for all of us to contemplative prayer. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. Oh, Rich, that's for, that's for super spiritual Christians. This is for people who've like went to seminary. Uh, These are for like the elites, the spiritual elites, but this is for everyone. And I want to tell you, if you have children, you can teach your children this. And this applies to people who have multiple PhDs. This is for everyone. And so for those of you who might be thinking, I don't even know how I can do this, to, to sit with God for five minutes and 10 minutes and... 15 minutes, whoa, 20 minutes, and just be with God? I don't think I can do that. I want to give you some ways that you can to help you do this. And when I think about this kind of prayer, which transforms us, here are a few things that come to mind. We are invited, first and foremost, to be friends silence, to make friends with silence, that silence is a friend. It's often the case that we see silence as an enemy. When we walk into our apartment, one of the first things we do is we put on the TV, we put on music, we just, we don't want to be alone in the silence, but we are invited in this to be friends silent. Secondly, we are called, this works when we normalize boredom. Much of the problem that we have with sustaining prayer is expecting prayer to be exciting all the time. We ex- and, and, and so because we expect prayer to be exciting all the time, Whenever it's not exciting, we think there's something wrong with us. And what begins to happen is we begin to worship our experiences of God and not God. And there's a big difference between worshiping your experience of God and worshiping the living God. But normalizing boredom, meaning prayer is often uneventful. I don't usually, there are times when the Holy Spirit surprises me with just a sense of his presence. And I'm just like, oh, Thank you. And then there are times where it doesn't seem as if God is near at all. And it is only in ret- when I look back that I go, oh, Lord, you've been with me the whole time. And I'm just called to normalize that I don't see transformation in the moment. 
It's often when I look back, we normalize boredom. How do you do this? We have to learn how to reframe distractions. I used to think that being distracted in prayer meant that I was a bad Christian. It turns out, brothers and sisters, that it means that I'm a human being. Let me tell you what happens when I pray every single time. When I decide to sit in my chair, in my bedroom, my living room, and I just open my hands before God and say, Lord, I want to be present to your presence. This is what happens within the first 10 seconds. Oh, are the Mets playing tonight? <laughs> oh, if she tells me this, I'm going to tell her that. If, if he says this to me, I'm going to tell him this. I'm having all these imaginary conversations. I forgot to get the milk. Oh, you know. <laughs> All, every, it's nonstop. And this is what I've learned in the process. To pray contemplatively means that I consistently come back to Jesus, which is why this is the phrase that's on my lips over and over again when I pray. Jesus, here I am. That's all I pray. I set my timer on my phone for 10 minutes, and I say, Jesus, I whisper it very, here I am. And then when my mind gets distracted and I find myself distracted, oh, Jesus, here I am. And as it's so beautifully been said, if your mind gets distracted a hundred times in 10 minutes, it's a hundred opportunities to return to the loving presence of Jesus Christ. How beautiful. How beautiful. And so we reframe distractions. We, we embrace the truth that prayer is not something we master, but an act that forms us. Do you know who the spiritual masters are? Not the people who pray these sophisticated prayers. Not these people who use these multisyllabic words that you're like, I, I got to look that up. And uh, those are not spiritual masters. The spiritual masters are those who show up and keep showing up when they don't feel anything. Those are the spiritual prayer masters who say, I don't feel the presence of God, but I'm still going to come. I, I didn't hear anything from the Holy Spirit, but I'm still going to show up. I don't know if, I, I don't know if God's going to respond to my prayer, but God, I'm showing up. I am here. Those are the spiritual masters, and we are invited, fifthly, to trust that God is always waiting for you with open arms. Open arms. And so when we withdraw, brothers and sisters... One of the ways we withdraw is by very simply opening ourselves to Jesus. And I encourage you, set your timer for five minutes, three minutes, ten minutes. And if you so, that, that was miserable. My mind was so distracted. Try it again and try it again and try it again. That's the first way. Let me get into the second way of withdrawing and then we'll sing together. And so this is a daily way of withdrawing in contemplative prayer. But a weekly way of withdrawing is in Sabbath keeping. Sabbath keeping. Sabbath keeping is this 24-hour period without anxiety, have-tos, or shoulds, which over time is to result in deep rest and renewal. It's a 24-hour literal period, not an allegorical period, not a super spiritual period, not a metaphorical period. It's a literal 24-hour period without anxiety, have-tos, or shoulds, which over time is to result in deep rest and renewal. And one of the reasons why we're so exhausted is because we have not kept Sabbath. We often think that all we need is a vacation 
to help us with our fatigue. Oh, yeah, we, we, so we work, 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 and then we go on vacation. And then we work, 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 and then we go on vacation. Uh, and, but, and, and then you vacation with children, mm. uh, which is why I remove the words vacation from my lips. It's family trips. We go on a family trip. <laughs> because vacation sounds restorative. It sounds life-giving. Mm-mm. We go on a family trip. And so we think... We think, oh, if I just had a vacation. No, no. What you need is a Sabbath, a regular period in which you stop your paid work and your unpaid work to rest, to cultivate joy, to delight, to contemplate. And some of you are wondering, how in the world am I going to do that? I want to give you five quick truths here to help us grow in Sabbath. And here's the good part. For those of you that are part of a small group, you're going to be able to get into this content this week and wrestle with this material in some really wonderful ways. But five truths about the Sabbath, and then we'll pray together. The first thing is this. Sabbath is not a reward for hard work. We often think, I can't rest because I don't deserve it. I haven't worked myself to the bone. And some of us came from families like that where you couldn't even get five minutes of rest before somebody's saying, why are you sitting down? There's more work to do. And so we often think that rest is a reward. But in the kingdom of God, rest is a gift. It's a gift that God receives, gives to us that we are called to receive. We see this prominently in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve are created on the sixth day. Watchman Nee is a wonderful book called Sit, Walk, Stand. It was the first book that I've ever read as a Christian. A woman by the name of Carmen Correa gave it to me. It's on the, the book of Ephesians, Sit, Walk, Stand. It's about 50, 60 pages or so. And Watchman Nee, this Chinese missionary, makes this wonderful point that Adam and Eve are created on, this, on the sixth day. Their first day is a day of rest on the Sabbath. Imagine this. You get hired for a job. And your boss says, you're hired. By the way, take tomorrow off. We'd be like, thank you. What a great job. That's what God says to Adam and Eve. Take a day off. And now work from your rest. Sabbath is not a reward. It's a gift to receive. Secondly, uh, Sabbath is a reminder that our work will remain incomplete. If we wait until our work is complete to rest... We will never rest. There's always another email to send. There's always another phone call to make. There's always another chore to accomplish. It's a reminder that our work will remain incomplete, which means it's also a reminder of our death. Now, I know you didn't come to church to hear this, but Sabbath is a reminder of our death that one day we will not finish that email. One day we will not make it to that meeting. One day we will not finish that task. So the Sabbath, it's to form us to be present to the present moment. This is why monks pray Psalm 90, verse 12, every single day. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Lord, life is fleeting. Life goes by so fast. Life... It just flies by. I saw my daughter's first day of school picture. Rosie sent it to me. She started seventh grade this year. And I looked at the picture. I thought, how? 
did this happen? This is wrong. This is wrong. Life is slow fleeting. Lord, teach us to number our days. That's what the Sabbath does. And because we're teaching, Lord, we're asking the Lord to teach us to number our days, it leads us to this third point, that Sabbath moves us from production to presence. It's to cultivate presence with one another, to be attuned to one another, to eat the food. Rosie always tells me on the Sabbath, chew your food, slow down, taste your food. It's, it's helping me be present and moving from production. Uh, fourthly, the Sabbath reminds us that we are not God, that the world will move on just fine without us. <laughs> I know that's hard to hear, but the world will move on just fine without us. It, the Sabbath is to humble us, that only God is the center of the universe, not you and me. Marjorie Thompson, a great spiritual writer, said it this way. She said, honoring the Sabbath means, and I quote, letting go of my treasured illusions of my indispensability. like, ouch. Sabbath means letting go of my treasured illusions of my indispensability. We are not God. Lastly, Sabbath points to the deeper rest we need found in Jesus Christ. In this way, Hebrews 4 says, Jesus is our Sabbath. He, his love is where we find rest. It's not just in stopping my work. I find the deep rest that I need for my soul by saying yes to the love of Jesus Christ. That there's no need for me to perform anymore. There's no need for me to produce anymore. There's no need for me to work my way into God's love. I've already received the love of God and Jesus Christ. I've already received his rest. Therefore, I can stop my work. And so, brothers and sisters, we are living in an exhausting world. Kate, you can come up, Kate. We are living in an exhausting world, overwhelmed by the tasks, the pressures, the polarization, the division. And unless we are often withdrawing, we will wither. And so the Holy Spirit has an invitation for all of us today to follow our Lord Jesus and to withdraw and allow the Holy Spirit to nourish us, replenish us, fill us with the life of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we live in the city that never sleeps. This all can feel so impossible. And yet in you, nothing is impossible. Give us grace this day as a community and as individuals to do like our Lord Jesus, to withdraw, to find oasis, a pocket of space to breathe, to commune with you, that we may be present to you, to our neighbor, to ourselves. And Lord, if there was a time in history where we need this, it's right now. We sing to you now words of praise, of worship, and gratitude. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, 
Let's all stand. Let's sing together. The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? I will wait on you. I will wait on you. I will trust in you. I will trust in you. I will remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. I will remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I shall I be afraid? The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? I will wait on you. I will wait on you. I will trust of the Lord. I will remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. I will remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. One of the ways we see the goodness of the Lord is by slowing down our lives to actually see the goodness of the Lord. As we close, I want to invite our prayer team to come forward. As we were singing that, I went on uh, the Weather Channel and uh, I wanted to see what the weather was going to be like next Saturday. And it's going to be 70 degrees. It's going to be mostly sunny. And here's an invitation. We have this congregational day alone with God. Uh, that's virtual, which means you can find a place anywhere in the city and bring your phone with you. And Pastor Sharon will guide you in a day of prayer. You don't have to show up with other people. You can go wherever you want. Find a, It's going to be a beautiful day. And, and find a solitary place. 
And here's my desire. Here's my hope. I, I told you about my three monasteries. My heart has been so touched by those experiences. And every year, I try to go to a monastery and find extended time to be with God because my soul needs it. And if you've never tasted of the love of God with that level of extended time, we got exactly what you need. And so whether it's this Saturday where you join to be led in that way, whether it's keeping Sabbath, whether you're pulling aside for five, ten minutes to just be with God in prayer, listen to those words. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. We have our prayer team here because so many of us, you're so tired, you're exhausted, you're fatigued. You just need someone to pray with you, to speak words of life over you, to intercede and, and bless you in the name of Jesus. So after I bless us, feel free to come forward and, and just let them minister to you and hear the voice of the Lord through their prayers. Uh, for the next five weeks, we're not going to have a sermon discussion time, so that's just a, um, just a heads up there uh, for those of you uh, watching online. And for those of you who want to say yes to Jesus Christ, here's an invitation. Whether you're watching in this room here, you're here, whether you're watching online, some of you have never said yes to Jesus, and you find your soul never at a place of rest. Yet God wants to give you rest, the rest that can only be found in the love of Christ. He loves you with an everlasting love. He took on your sin, forgave you, died for you, resurrected on the third day, ascended to the right hand. Why? So you can enter into the rest of God and live without having to prove yourself and live according to the world's standards. No, you can find your rest in Jesus. And so very simply, you can come up for prayer and say, I want someone to pray for me. You can text the phrase, yes to Jesus, uh, to this number 718-424-0122. 718-424-0122. And let God give you the rest that your soul needs. As we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven. I'll be downstairs in the on the porch with a number of our pastors. Uh, if you're new here, uh, I'll be outside. Please introduce yourself. I'd love to meet you, get your name. Uh, and everyone else, I'm happy to greet you as well. Uh, but with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit. May the Holy Spirit give you the strength, the desire, the discipline to do like Jesus, to withdraw, to cultivate space with God. And may God meet you in profound ways in those moments. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the rest-giving name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all.